And if you remember, if you were here last week or you weren't here last week, we kind of started off doing the background on the Book of Ruth. And there were several things that we talked about. First, in, in Ruth's, in the time period of Ruth, it was a time of chaos, meaning there was a time, there was a time when the judges ruled. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did was right in their own eyes, as what it says itself in the book of Judges. So it was not a safe time. It was not a good time. There's also a time of famine. We see Elimelech, who is the head of the household, and Naomi, his wife, and their two sons. They leave the promised land. They leave the land of Bethlehem, Bethlehem meaning house of bread, and they go into the land of Moab, which is traditionally and historically God's enemies. Because of the famine, there was no food in the house of bread. Third, it was a time of failure. Elimelech failed by not, he left the people of Israel for 10 years. It's like not going to church for 10 whole years, not having fellowship for 10 years. He took his whole family and did that, which I think is, I believe is a failure of him as a man and as a leader of his family. He also failed by giving his sons Moabite wives. The Bible explicitly said, and says that you shall not marry people from this group because you will end up worshiping their false gods. Yet he does this. So it was a time of failure. And it was a time of death as partially a judgment, as partially maybe God moving Naomi and Ruth into Israel. They died. Elimelech died. And then Naomi's two sons, Malon and Kilion, also died. So the time of death. And finally, it was a, it was a time of hope. Um, after these things happened, you know, she heard through the grapevine that there was food again in the land of Israel. And her and her two daughters-in-law decide to make the return journey back to Bethlehem. And there, so they ended the life in Moab. She realized it was not working. And then Started moving to Bethlehem where there was hope and possibly food, and that's where we are today. So if you have your Bible, start with me to Ruth chapter 1. We'll start in verse 8. Starting in verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to, your, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. 
Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to him, she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So before we dig into it, I had this unique opportunity this summer spending time with my in-laws and my family. My son, Elliot, he, we started doing puzzles for the first time. He had this puzzle of Peter Pan, the old cartoon Peter Pan was Captain Hook and the alligator on his ship. It was like maybe a 50-piece puzzle. And he's never done a puzzle before, but he was interested in learning. So what which part of the puzzle do you do first? Anybody know? When you start a puzzle, what do you, what do, you do first? You do the edges. Very good. Thank you. Okay. You do the edges first because the edges have those clean lines. So you can try to make your way through it. But he really struggled with a lot of the middle, right? Because the, you're, you know, he's trying to jam the pieces in. They're not really fitting well. They kind of look like the same color. And it was, it was a real struggle for him. And I think this is a, a great picture of what our, our lives look like. Like we've got the edges kind of down. Like we kind of see kind of the general trajectory of our lives, but we kind of try to force things and jam things into position. And we don't know what the inside looks like. And this is kind of this is kind of what this story in Ruth tells us today. So I titled my sermon "Prayer, Plans, and Providence." So my first point is prayer. And we need to pray for God's blessing. We see in this passage that the first thing Naomi does for her two daughters-in-law is that she prays for them. And she doesn't just pray. She doesn't pray to just God generally. She prays to, it says the Lord, but that means God's covenant name, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of, the, the, of, the, of Moses, the God of the people of Israel. And she asks for a blessing. She asked that she would, they would deal kindly and lovingly with her. That word in the Old Testament means chesed. And chesed is a big word. It's used in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, many, many times. And what chesed means is that it's like grace and, and be translated as merciful, loving kindness is often translated, goodness, beauty, favor, basically God's grace. He wants, she's praying for these these two daughters for God's grace, for God's goodness, for his kindness, for his mercy, for his love for these women. And she also prays that they would have rest. They had, they had, like I said in the beginning of the sermon, they had a really hard time. They had a really rough 10 years seeing their father-in-law die, seeing their husbands die, being in a place that's very vulnerable, it's not safe. So she, got, she prays, God, give these women rest. May they find rest. And she also prays for them for this because they dealt so well with her. 
We don't know exactly the situation, but he says, as the may the Lord bless you as you have dealt kindly with the dead and with me. Right? So she, she saw that Ruth and Orpah took care of probably Elimelech, their father-in-law, took care of their husbands until they died, took care of each other. Remember, they're in a foreign land. They probably didn't have a lot of support structure. They probably didn't know anybody. So they were the family. They stuck together. And she's saying now, find rest. Blessing, because you have blessed me in all this time. And for us, that means we should pray. When was the last time you prayed for the people that have provided for you, the people that have loved you, people that have cared for you? Your friends, your parents, your children, your boss, right? There's all these people in our lives that have kind of brought us to where we are and shown grace and kindness and favor to us. So we should ask and pray that they would, that they would be blessed by the Lord, that they would come to know who God is. And we should also pray often. You know, when people always say, you know, I'll pray for you. I'm not good at this, but I'm trying to get better. So why don't I pray for you right now, right? Instead of going home and then I forget, like, pretty much 90% of the whole situation that happened, right? Something I've tried to do is like, hey, let's pray right now. Our heads, even from the shopping mall or outside, pray for them. Ask for God's blessing on them. We should also pray when we don't see God's full plan. Right? These women, you know, they're not, you know, if you know the end of the story, it works out pretty well. Works out really well. But where they are, they don't see any of that. They're in Moab still. Right? They have no provision. Right? They say, talking about finding in the, in the house of your husband, because husbands and fathers were the people who, they were not just, just for love, but it was also for provision and for, for protection. Right? This is a dangerous place, an unsafe place. So they're in Moab. They don't know what the future brings. They can be killed, right, on their way back. And we should also pray for, even when we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, right, we're kind of, maybe we're in the darkness. Maybe we are struggling with something. We don't see the way out. We should still pray that God would bless us and bless others, right? It's like, it's like the puzzle. Like, the puzzle looks really dark right now. I can't see where this is going to go, how this is going to work out. It looks like it's going to work out really badly. But even still, as Naomi prayed in the land of Moab, we should pray when we're in our struggles and pray for each other when they're in their struggles. So we should pray for God's blessing. Second, we need to be aware when God's plans trump our own plans. When God's plan trump our own plans. Right? She ended a life in Moab. She made last in the last uh Last week, she made a good decision. She ended her life in Moab and started to return to Israel. That was good. She also tries here to end her relationship with her daughters-in-law. Like, this is not going to work. You have your gods. You have your people. Let's just, let's just end this now. She says, like, four times, go back or turn back, my daughters. So she has this plan that we're going to stop this right now. I'll go back alone. And perhaps, I don't think it's for bad reasons. I think she probably fears for their safety. Right? These are Moabite women going into the land of Israel. Not a super exciting prospect probably for these, these two women. 
They are foreigners in a foreign land. We all know, living in Kuwait, what that's like to some degree or another. Right? So don't, don't do this. Go back. And, and there, obviously, it's, it's a super sad moment. There's lots of crying. There's tears. There's weeping. Because they've known each other. They're like a band of brothers. You know, they've gone through all these hard things for 10 years together. Right? It's like this bond that's formed in, in pain and in suffering. And you find that here. You know, many of your friends will, you know, you're going through Kuwait living life together or your family or your friends. And you kind of like have this pretty quick and strong and inseparable bond that you make. And they had this too. And she's trying to end this. And she says further, you know, I'm not valuable to you anymore. Right? Like if I get married right away and have kids or you wait till they're grown, no, you'll be old women by that time. I can't do anything for you anymore. You know, you were kind to me as mother-in-law, but that's that's all, they're dead. They're all dead, they're gone. Can't make a husband for you. Her plan is, is that they should try to find another husband, right? That's what she's thinking. So she has these plans for these women. I think Ruth sees and trusts that God's plan, God has a different plan for her, right? And she says, no, I mean, Orpah, they, she says it three times. After this, the second time, Orpah says, okay, I'm going back. But Ruth, no. She's like, I am not leaving you. I think God has a plan for me in this land. And these people, he, she doesn't know what it is, of course. But she believes that God has a plan for her. because Why would she stay? There's nothing for her. She says that only death will separate me from you, Naomi. This is a super unusual commitment. You know, you see this passage read a lot of weddings, right? Two people get together. This is a common passage that's used, you know. Your people, my people, your God, my God, only death will separate, separate me from you. But this is to your mother-in-law. And I am married, and I love my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. But I don't think I would make this sort of incredible commitment if something horrible happened. Um, but Ruth does. Ruth makes this to her mother-in-law. Like not even her own mother, but her mother-in-law. But nobody planned to leave them. But she's like, no. God planned Ruth to stay. God had a different plan than what Naomi's plan was. And even though Naomi pushed really hard, Ruth pushed hard back. And she has a conversion experience, right? She says, your God will be my God. They worship a false demon god, Chemosh, right, in Moab. But something with this, this interaction with this Israelite family over these 10 years, so God must have shown her something about who he was, right? And she, did, she has much less than we have now about how to be a follower of Jesus, right? She had very little to go on, right? It's just this kind of uh, understanding that there's a God and he has rules and she just saw this family. I don't even know if they opened the Bible in this family, but maybe just seeing these men and women, which is super amazing that God just turns this light bulb in Ruth's mind like, yes, I want to follow this God. I have no idea. And she has no idea why probably. It's like maybe Naomi was super faithful, even though Elimelech was a failure. Doesn't mean he wasn't a believer in some capacity. She no longer identifies herself as a Moabite, but as a member of Israel, not by blood, 
but by her subscription to the precepts of God's commandments, right? If you're a Christian here, it's not by blood, right? I don't think any of us are descendants of the ancient Israelites because we believe in who God says he is. So we should hope in God's plan. You know, last week I said, sometimes you need to cut your losses. Like they were in Moab, things were not going well. And she made a right decision by ending those things. Other times, however, sometimes you need to not quit. When you know God has put something on your heart or in your life, and you think that God has a plan for you, you need to stick to it. And that's, that's often true. You know, uh, when I need to share the gospel, God puts something on my heart. It's not like a, a super pleasant feeling usually. Like I don't want to make myself feel super awkward and talk about Jesus with my coworker. But I think, okay, this is God speaking to me. This is God. Okay, this is God's plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something about Jesus. And usually it works out great. When I'm, when I'm obedient. And we need to be obedient. So if you sense God's plan, you need to hold on despite difficulties. You know, I was, when I was in, in university, I, didn't, I was in the honors college. They picked 100 students, the 100 best students um, from the university. And we had this kind of different group and we had different classes and it was much more rigorous. And me and some friends decided to do an inductive Bible study for non-Christians. So they'd come, they'd have pizza, and we'd talk about Jesus. And it was a it was a raucous, intense sort of thing because these were none of these were believers, very some of them very adamantly against Jesus. And I thought to myself, I don't know why I come to this every week. But I knew that God had a plan, and God did use that to plant seeds in these people's lives decades later. Some coming to Christ some at least aware of who Jesus was in the gospel, and I didn't give up. So, we need to pray for God's blessing. We need to know that God's plans are better than our own plans, like in the case with Naomi. And third, when our plans fail, we need to find safe people. We see that, so they return home, and the whole town, it says, is stirred up. Like, whoa, here, here they are after 10 years. Where have you guys been? Right? And all the women ask her, you know, is this Naomi? Is this you? She says, uh, no, it's not me. It's, my name is, was Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter, because God has been bitter to me. Right? She says, I, I went away full and I came back empty. And she blames God for this. Right? And you know that you're bitter when you legally change your name to bitter. Right? She is bitter. She's in a dark, rough place, changing her name to bitter. And there's a lot of things we can say about Naomi. Obviously, her theology is not correct. She does some blaming of God that's probably inappropriate. But we also need to remember she's in intense grief and pain, right? Everyone she loved died on this trip. All her plans, you know, she planned probably to have kids and her kids to get married to these mobile women and then have grandkids and just enjoy that life, right? But all of that was wiped away, just totally broken. And I think that shows that people in the Bible are not perfect, except for Jesus, right? You people in the Bible, they were human too. And I think we need to not be so hard on Naomi. 
right? I, you know, I've gone through some, some rough spiritual patches. I've had like some intense difficulties. And, you know, I remember one situation, I had a situation with the church that kind of all went sideways. And I tried to talk it out for a year. I met with another pastor. I met at Applebee's every Tuesday for a full year before I got healing from it. And this is, that was nothing compared to what Naomi's going through, right? And yes, we can tell, talk about her sin, her need to repent. But there's also another theme in the Bible, which is brokenness and healing, right? She's broken, right? And she needs healing. And she is a believer. It's not like she, she, she's struggling with her relationship with God right now. But she's a believer because she prays to the God of the Bible, Yahweh. She's just super wounded, super hurt. And her people say stupid things sometimes, right? As we all do, right? The old phrase, hurt people, hurt people, right? Um, she's empty. And we'll see as the story goes on, she will be healed. But she is taking, it takes time, right? And maybe that's how you feel. You know, your world is upside down. Maybe your family is falling apart. Your marriage is going through real struggles. Maybe your work or your boss or your students or your um, colleagues. This is it's a very difficult time. Maybe you feel alone. This is a very lonely, it can be a very lonely place in Kuwait. Maybe you think, okay, God is sovereign. These bad things are happening. Why is God doing this to me? We don't want to trivialize this. Like I don't, sometimes I don't like it when people say, you know, it's, it's fine. You've got to work it all out. You're kind of like taking this hard thing I'm going through and saying it, a, a pithy phrase for it's not helpful. And I'm not here to tell you it's always going to work out either. I'm not going to lie to you. Some, will, some of you will be crying until you meet Jesus. Some, some wounds are deep. But there are ways you can get healing. Right, I believe that she's with these women. She's able. She's in a safe place to talk about what she's going through honestly and openly. Right, God did all these bad things to me. She's saying, and she so she must feel safe enough to say this. Right, and I hope that this church, God willing, will be a safe place for you to share what you're going through and what you're struggling with. That we were to be saying, you know, God's in control, let go and let God, or some silly phrase like that. That we listen. And, and another way to find healing is to acknowledge some of the pain that you're going through. If you're going through pain, you need to acknowledge that. You need to say something. You know, we try to keep it inside. You're like, okay, I'm an adult, I can do this. But that's, that's when you, things start going bad, right? You, if you don't let it out and share with people and find safe, a safe place and safe people, it will just eat you alive. You've got to find a place and people with whom you can trust and share honestly and openly. Right? As, as a pastor, there's things I don't always share with everybody. But I do have people in my life where I share, where I can share openly and honestly, and that is so helpful. Otherwise, it would just eat me alive. My wife would probably leave me. But I have other people in my life I can share things with, share the struggles I'm going through, and process it and talk about it. I'm an external processor. So I, I can talk day and night. Ask my wife. She'll just tell me to stop. So I, I think to process and process and process out loud. 
But you got to find people with whom you can process these things as Naomi did. So we pray. We need to know God's plan over our own plans. We need to find a safe place and safe people. And finally, we need to trust God's providence. Right? They're back in Bethlehem. But they probably have nothing. They might not even have a home. Right? Think of Naomi. She's alone. Her husband. No provision. Right? It's an it's a unsafe and chaotic time. People are doing whatever they want to, doing what's right in their own eyes. Husbands were the main protector. Gone. No future. Right? Children were your social security, were your, your survival as you got older. Your children were that for you in that culture. She's got no children anymore. Right? And Ruth, no better. Also no husband. Right? Not a virgin. Highly valued trait in those days. She's got a super bitter mother-in-law. She's a foreigner, right? She could easily be abused because it's like, you're not one of us. So it's going to be hard for her to find a husband. And I talked to you last week about providence. And, and providence, as I said, it's like if you think of two wheels on a bicycle. Sometimes you see one wheel, one pedal is God working. You see it in many books of the Bible, God visibly shows up and works miracles, stops the sun, raises the dead, brings people back, heals people, supernatural. And we believe that. I believe that there are miracles that happen today. Then there's the other pedal of God's providence where you don't see God visibly showing up, but he's there. He's working circumstances and situations and desires and open doors and closed doors. Those are as equally God working as in his hand of miracles. He's working. And last week, God provided provision for Israel. Didn't say he showed up supernaturally made the crops grow. Probably just the blight was over or whatever happened, food started to grow. But that was God's providence. No miraculous manna, but God brought food back. And then there's providence here, too, at the end of the last verse, is the barley harvest. Barley is a cereal grain, and it was a kind of a reminder. It's a time of celebration and, and provision, because that's when you, you can take the food, and you store it up, and you eat it. And if you know the end of the story, this is a kind of a little window into God's providence. This is how Ruth meets her future husband, Boaz, during the barley harvest. If it was a different time, it would have been unlikely that they would have met. And his providence brings blessing for them, even though they did not know it, right? They were afraid, they were uncertain, they didn't know, but God kind of gives us a little, in this verse here, the writer says, barley harvest, showing God is still in control. You know, they were thinking about how they're going to get their next meal, how they're going to reintegrate into Israel, how they're going to be safe and survive. And today in our life, it's not so different, right? We also don't know what tomorrow brings. Our puzzle is not finished, right? Things can seem meaningless, but they're not. We know that the, as, if you believe in Jesus, the puzzle will be finished. And one day it will all make sense. One day we'll look back probably after we're dead and we're in heaven with Jesus We'll see all those things, even the hard things, even the horrible things. God used them for a purpose and for a plan to bring us to him. 
Even the death of Malon and Kilion and Elimelech brought Ruth to this place. So we need to trust that God is working. We don't know how, and I'm not going to pretend that I know how God is working most of the time in my life. I might think he's doing something. He might be doing something totally different. But the point is that we need to know that God is working behind the scenes. We don't see him in a pillar of fire. But if we know, if we believe that even the smallest events and details of our lives are planned and controlled by God, it will give us perspective. That means we need to wait around and, and look at the tea leaves and, and see what God is trying to say. No, we live our lives. But if we know in our heads and in our hearts that God is working behind the scenes, it will bring perspective. It will bring joy, in, even in hard circumstances. I think one thing we need to do is slow down. Right? We are in a super busy culture and a super busy life in Kuwait. And sometimes we miss things that happen. We don't, we don't notice God because we're so we are so focused on what we're doing. I can I'm like this, this I'm preaching to myself. I am fixated on my plans, right? Often when I'm at work, I want to do my work and go home. I want to talk to people, I just want to do my thing. I got a lot of work to do at my job. But the time for I've seen God show up the most is usually when I'm like somebody says something that's going bad in their lives, and it's like this could be an opportunity for God to do something. And I've had to, I got to share the gospel many times with my coworkers because I was able to slow down and be like, it's not just about me and my plans. God has a different plan for me. I need to trust God's providence. So as we conclude, we see that, you know, Ruth, this providence brought blessing to Ruth. And this story, this little love story points to the bigger love story. Of Jesus. You know, Naomi prayed to God for Ruth's physical blessing, but Jesus prayed to God for our souls. Naomi, Naomi struggled to see God's plan in her suffering, but Jesus suffered willingly to give us an eternal, joyful plan. Ruth and Naomi didn't see the big picture for their lives, but Jesus sees and he orchestrates all of our big pictures, all of our puzzles for all of our lives. So let's make our plans, but let's, let's hold them loosely. Let's pray that God would bless those around us and be part of that prayer, part of that blessing. Let's find those safe people and those places where we can process when our plans fall apart. And let's trust that God is working out his plan in every aspect of our lives. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a wonderful God who blesses us whose providence is in our lives for our good. I pray for every one of these people that you would, they, they would find safe people in safe places, other believers who would be a source of support and encouragement and just walking with them through whatever they're going through, just being with them, just being Jesus to these people. Jesus, I pray that you bless every one of us here, and as we get to enjoy our potluck, that we would be reminded that you are a God who has good plans for us, who prays and loves us, and who has providentially orchestrated good things in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.